Did you know apparently they don't make rose gold iPhones anymore? I heard. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently I'm the only one broken up about this. <laughs> Aaron, you've been on you've been on the show four times. Did we start already? Yeah. No, he has not been on the show four times. Yeah, he has. No, he's done. I guess f this is four times. Holy shit! Four times. Thank you for thank you for continuing to uh, bear with us for an hour. <laughs> yeah, room. you're welcome. I'll I'll keep coming on the show until you've got that bike shed done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so um, we haven't discussed rose rose gold as a color. Uh, let's. Just, I think re really we need to think about the merits of having this shed be rose gold. Oh, just yeah, that's fine. Ah, I'm a, I'm bad at bike shedding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it should be. I think it would be really difficult to get paint in rose gold that would be resistant to the weather. Is really the the problem. So we might have to tint it a little bit more because of the oil base it's going to need in order to sustain the weather. Is this is this our only topic? <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is the only one we had planned. Sorry, did, did we want to talk about something else? No, talking about bike shed colors is completely fine. But I feel like. That might have been used on this podcast no. once or twice. What? No. We've never explained the source of the name. We just sort of um, assume that people would get it. Seriously? And if they didn't, they would look it up or they would just be like, it's weird. It should be a podcast about bikes, no, but it's people, about programming. You should, you, should explain, you should explain what it is to people. I'll explain what it is to people. <laughs> what bike shedding... So what bike shedding is, is when... Uh, now nah, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to do with nuclear power plants. <laughs> It is. It is. It I, thought, is. I thought it was yes. NASA. Yeah. The story I've heard is it has to do, so a nuclear power plant, they're doing all these design reviews. And so they will present these complex plans for like containment of nuclear waste. And people just kind of look at them over and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Looks good. And then they present a plan for the bike shed they're going to build. And the feedback is like off the charts. Because everyone has opinions. Because it's something they feel qualified to have an opinion yes, about. Yes, everyone ah. feels qualified to build a bike shed, but nobody feels qualified to build a nuclear reactor, so everyone has an opinion on a bike shed, but nobody has opinions on nuclear reactors. Right, and the story is like, the people gave feedback on the color. I don't think it's actually a true story, no, but right. maybe. Uh, gave feedback on like the color of the bike shed. So like, what color is the bike shed? Is it common? And then there's one, I forget what this one's called, but it's where they actually the military used to drop bike sheds onto this island. <laughs> I don't think that's right. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bike shed cult, right? Isn't that the one? Yeah, bike shed cult, yes. Is that wrong? <laughs> it's cargo cult, but sure. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe they had bike sheds in the cargo. <laughs> no, We I don't think, know that. I think, do you know the explanation of cargo cult? Because I, I, that's a thing, that's a term that I used for years without knowing its origin. I mean, that's just what we call people who use rust. <laughs> the cargo cult. Yes. Because in good. rust, they have a cargo. Yeah, the package manager is called cargo. Oh. <laughs> you would you actually would have liked the, R, the RFC we got on uh, April 1st where somebody was saying cargo is just too many characters to type and there's so many great Unix utilities that have nice short names. So they proposed uh, shortening cargo to go. Uh, huh. I mean, of course, we merged it. There was there was absolutely nothing that could possibly cause conflict from that. So I thought cargo was like um, some sort of go thing, like go that you would install in your car. 
like a mobile Go development environment. Mm, no? CarPlay, CarGo. CarGo, yeah. I like it. Exactly. <laughs> so are we going to explain what uh, cargo culting is now? Do, do any of us know? I have no idea. I, I, I vaguely you remember know, that something about like cargo that, planes would be used to drop aid and, yeah, and people associated that with like, oh, go ahead, fill me in here. So they thought that because there was, I think it was supposed to be from World War II or something, uh, Americans would drop cargo onto some island, like aid cargo, and then we eventually stopped doing that. But the natives there thought that because there was a runway, that's why they were getting cargo drops. So they built a runway out of just stuff because <laughs> they thought that they would get aid from that. Mm -hmm. So they thought that was the right. And so you hear that in programming for similar reasons. Like you're like, I don't know why this solved the bug, but it seems to solve a bug every time I do it. And it's probably not that. Yeah. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Bad yep. example. So I'm really pleased to see that the overarching theme of this conference appears to be trolling you. Me? Yes. Why? Well, all well, the problems are oh, your problems. Oh, oh yes, yes. From all the problems are my problems. Yeah, yeah. It was both hilarious to see David troll, uh, trolling you on stage, but also just because I'm sure that means that uh, for your keynote tomorrow, it's going to be taken up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it is weird because usually you do a decent amount of like trolling David in your talk, but yes. he doesn't usually call you out like that in no, his talk. No, so I, he really ratcheted it up this year, I feel like. I'm almost positive that was an off-the-cuff remark. Not so, planned. Yes. Yeah, so for people, who, for people who did not see David's presentation yesterday, he said that Conceptual uh, compression. Con conceptual compression and making it so that you don't have to care about things you used to care about. And one of his examples was, we don't have to care about garbage collection. Aaron gets to care about garbage collection. Yes, yes. And we give Aaron all of our problems. Yes. So basically, you don't have to care about the stuff because we have other people that do it. And you don't need to... It's basically abstracted away from you. And you don't need to worry about it. Worry about thinking about those things. I guess it was memory management. Because yeah. we, wouldn't, wouldn't we wouldn't worry about garbage collection either way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is trolling me. But I'm, I'm almost positive that was like a improv moment there but my good, my good trolling him. is planned right <laughs> <laughs> which just makes it meaner really yeah. <laughs> yes yeah absolutely i've got some good ones i don't think i trolled him very much last year i think so i have to admit like i really really miss the um you don't need to test anything dhh right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot harder to troll when he's not outraging you, right? Yes, like like this year and last year, it was pretty reasonable. Like, oh yeah, it makes makes sense. Yes, yeah. I I understand what you're saying, and I it's a lot harder to make fun of. So yeah, <laughs> although I was I was terrified for a minute when he was when he was like the size of the blocks are changing. I'm like, oh god, here comes the surprise feature announcement that nobody on the team has heard about before now. <laughs> yes, the size of the blocks are changing, so we are announcing a new blockchain mm -hmm. framework. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's 2018. I would not be surprised if, if, if that was an actual thing. Mm. That is apparently how the world works now. Active blockchain? Active blockchain. Active blockchain. Or it'd be action blockchain. Action. Mm. Active blockchain base. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have to be active, since I'm assuming this would just be a out-of-the-box, Rails provides everything you need to inject cryptocurrency miners into all of your users' uh, uh, would it browsers. Even be that, would it even be up that high, though? I mean, like... Blockchain is basically a slow database, so I feel like it would just be a backing for Active Record. Oh, uh, you're not? That's true, like, yeah. You're just like, <laughs> Bitcoin.new. 
Yeah. I mean. <laughs> okay. And then it just blocks. Yeah, and you so wait. we're all and we're all rich now. We're all rich. <laughs> Serious thing though, like so diesel is the, uh, an RM that I made in Rust and in our support channel all the time, um, like I get little snippets of people's schema and every t- every time I see one of these, I really just want to go, "Can you please stop trying using diesel for yet another cryptocurrency thing?" I don't even know what what it is that they're building that so many people are building a cryptocurrency related thing as like their first Rust app. But well, I, I mean, you're just adding fuel to the fire. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Aaron! <laughs> this is how. So this is how I ruin meetings. <laughs> That's how you get involved in less meetings. Yeah. Like if you well, were meetings, like having serious conversation, I'm like, I'm kind of bored. I will make a pun now. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, okay, I guess we have to end the meeting. <laughs> and then we eventually, should. they're just like, well, we could probably use Aaron's, and they're like, nah, never mind. <laughs> never mind. We can we can make this decision without him. <laughs> Although I have to I have to admit, the worst is when I'm actually interested, and I do want to know. Like, we do need to finish it, but I just can't help it. I have to. Like, <laughs> I have, have to, and then everyone's like, ugh, and I'm like, no, I really wanted the conversation to continue. So on behalf of the Ruby community, yeah, thank you for collecting all of our garbage for us. Uh, you're welcome, yes. Do we, do we want to talk about that? Uh, sure. I mean, we talked about GC last year, but I can we can do some more I mean, this it, year. You, sound, you sounded excited to, to give an update. Yeah, definitely. So I've been working on it with... I haven't had as much time to work on it this year as I would like, but I've been pairing with uh, Allison McMillan on it, and mm. she is really great. And every week we spend about an hour working on GC together. And actually, I wish I could, I wish I could show the graphs here. I plan on presenting it at RubyConf for sure if I get accepted. I feel like talking about GC is a bit too, probably too low level for a Rails conference, so I I save that for RubyConf. But I've got something like 90% of objects in memory to move, and it's good enough. It's good enough that, well, I don't know what the percentage is. So one a basic Rails application would use about 503 uh, GC pages on boot. And I was able to reduce that to 420. Oh. And the, the packing is very good. Like there's only, I think there, there's only maybe 5% of the pages had space on them. So it was like. That's pretty good. It's really good. It's really good. Um, so. Is GitHub in a state now where like you're able to test this out on their application at all? Last year at the time we were able to do it, but this year we can't. We have some blockers in production. This is actually pretty frustrating. We have um we use uh gRPC. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. GRPC, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it is very nice. It's a nice protocol. I like it a lot. But unfortunately the gems one version of the gem specified that it required that your Ruby version be less than Ruby two point five. <laughs> I have no idea why. Like I really don't understand why they did this, but we're running with that version in production. So we can't upgrade Ruby because as soon as we do that, gRPC is like, no, oh no, I can't handle Ruby 2.5. That's way too much. <laughs> can't Actually, have yield self in, the, in this gem. I don't even know. I really don't know why, why they made that specification. So I asked my friends at Google, hey, can you please fix this? And they finally did. So now I have to upgrade those gems. And then I can upgrade Ruby. And then I can test out the stuff in production. So cool. it's a slow process, slow and interesting process. Yeah, the last, Sorry, the last 
air quotes interesting. The last process. time we talked about it, you were talking about the difficulties being some objects can't move, but evidently you've been able to move yes, more of them. Yes, actually, a lot. Uh, some objects can't move, like some classes. Things C is pointing to. Yeah, things C, things that C are pointing to, but it turns out that like, so the the biggest blocker that I had was that well, was hash keys. Okay, uh, hash keys, the hash value, when you do like dot hash that thing, that number, is typically calculated based on the location and memory of the object. That's the default implementation. Mm -hmm. So it depends, that object, where it is in memory, that generates its hash key. So if I were to move that, then the hash key would change, and if you tried to look up that value, you'd get a miss. Right. I would have to rehash all of the hashes in memory to do that. But that's not true for strings. A string's hash key is calculated based on its actual contents. Right, so if I move the string around in memory, it doesn't. The hash key does not change, so I can special case those and say, okay, string, you are okay to move. I know that you're a hash key, but it's still okay to move you because your hash key won't change. So your plan is to not assume that any user implementation of hash is not relying on object ID. So basically, the only I check the underlying type of the object, and if the underlying type is a string. T string, which you cannot override, uh, then I let you move. So the only time that it'll mess anybody up is if you implemented a subclass of string and you made the subclasses hash key depend on its location in memory, which if you do that, <laughs> you don't care? Yeah, I don't care. Just get out of here. Like, don't upgrade Ruby? Yes. No, but I just, so I just mean like, but so you are going to just specifically whitelist then string and, and not do anything like a, an active record base object, nope. for example. So you're trying nope. to tell me that I should use string keys and all my hashes again? Oh, it's strings or symbols. That's fine. Either one's oh, fine. Symbols are fine. Yeah, okay, okay. symbols are fine. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yep. Um, have you followed the, the fast attribute stuff at all? No, only the stuff that Akira talked about in his presentation. Okay, no, I mean the gem that's on, that the, the well, it's not released yet, but you know the the repo under our org called Rails. Fast Attributes, Rails N Fast Attributes. No. Okay. <laughs> um, it re-implements a couple of classes that are known allocation hotspots and active record in Rust. To oh get them yeah, off of GC. yeah, yeah, yeah. You sent me that. Yes, that yeah. was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We look. Oh yeah, that's right. Of course, you, I mean, we looked at it at, to make sure that I wasn't doing terrible things with yep. pointers. Yeah. Because the, the the performance improvement from it was way larger than I expected. It was it was you know two x instead of ten percent. And I've been trying to figure out exactly why it was so much larger than I expected. Oh, because it's in Rust, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that, come on. That, come car, on. that car goes yeah. something fast. Come on. Um, no, but I, I, one of the things I, th I think it is, because of optimizing compilers, we have a hash map that is specifically only ever using symbols as keys, and it knows that we're only ever using symbols as keys, and specifically, like, hashing a 64-bit uh, integer is a no-op and is guaranteed to have no collisions, mm -hmm. and it's able to basically uh, treat it. It's not quite like um, a perfect hashing function implementation of a hash map, but it gets performance close to that. I think that is at least a portion of where that comes from. Hmm. I know that Ruby would never be able to, to take advantage of that, but I just thought that was a very interesting performance characteristic that I hadn't considered would change because it was in Rust. So Ruby's hash implementation, this is kind of interesting. If you look at the hash implementation in Ruby, there's actually optimized ones for uh, symbols or integers, actually, so the symbols are integers or strings or different types of objects. The problem is that none of those optimized hash implementations are exposed in Ruby. So like, for example, all of the instance variables that may be on your class or whatever, we store the names as symbols, 
in Ruby. Under That's the implementation. And so what we do is we keep a hash there, and we know that those keys are always going to be integers. So we keep an integer-specific hash implementation. So it's possible to do something like that. I mean, I would like it. Like, maybe we could have a symbol hash key. Well, I mean, this is also hash. that just lookups are faster because it knows that there's no collisions. But, like, I, I, like, I'm not sure that we could ever do that in Ruby because it would be re very, very reliant on uh, knowing that not only does this hash map only contain symbol keys, but also we would need to know that's all it will ever contain. Yeah, I'm saying if you could allocate, say, like, symbol hash dot new. Oh, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yes, then absolutely we could do the same thing. Yeah. But I don't know if anybody would care besides something like that. Right. It seems very specialized, and you should just do it and see. <laughs> or Rust. I mean, or Rust, yeah, right. sure, Rust. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. <laughs> right, well, in Rust, but that's the, that, that was the neat thing, right? I, I didn't have to specialize it. Optimizing compilers are really good, it turns out. Mm. Anyway. Are, are you doing any Rust? No. No? No. How no. come? I, I, I do it vicariously through Sean. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I submitted one pull request to his uh, ORM. You know so I've written one one change in Rust. Let me tell you what's way better than Rust. Go? No, I don't know. I, no, I, I, so no, I don't know. I don't know Go very well, but I really like, I really enjoy Elixir. I think that's a good language. <laughs> okay. I no, enjoy really. Elixir. Yeah, it's a good language. I really enjoy it. I was using it, and I wrote a whole thing in it. I'm not personally a fan of it, but I, I, I absolutely understand why people like it. I like it because I can implement Lambda Calculus in it, and I have not been able to do that in Rust. <laughs> <laughs> so so if you can send me a Lambda Calculus that's implemented only with Lambdas in Rust, maybe I will consider that I, as a I, could, I could do that. I could also send you one that does it entirely in the compiler. Can you? Yeah. Mac, our, our macros are turned complete. Are you able to store any data type, though? Can you have, a, for example, a con cell that points at a Lambda or... Yeah. Anything? Yeah, you, I mean, you mm. just you have to put it behind a pointer. So you have to wrap it with something. You can't just say, hey, you yo, have to wrap the con new... cell itself. So the user of it has to unwrap the con cell. No. No? What's no. a con cell? Cons cell. Cons cell. Cons cell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, yeah. otherwise you would have an name, <laughs> right? Because you're saying it, it contains either a lambda or another cons. No, it contains anything. Oh, yeah, that's just a generic. Oh. So you can't do it in Go. No, you, <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> well, you, you I, just I like take empty interface. Too. It's fine. So the reason I don't like Go is because it doesn't support generics, and my insurance company only covers generics. <laughs> <laughs> why I don't? Why haven't I tweeted that one? That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so what's left on the compacting GC? Uh, making my patch suck less. <laughs> <I think. laughs> the patch is very long, and we also need to actually try it out in production. We should talk. You know what we should talk about? We should talk about something that's actually I actually have merged into Ruby already. Mm. That is really awesome. I'm actually extremely proud of it, and that is um, direct marking uh, instruction sequences, which is this is this is neat. I will okay. Exp wow. I will explain wow. It. Explain, I will explain that. It. To me. Yes. Yes. So in Ruby, when your Ruby code gets compiled, it gets compiled into instruction sequences for the virtual machine. Those instruction sequences are just binary, just a bunch. It's literally an array of numbers. That's all it is. And within those numbers, sometimes there are objects. So for example, if you have some code that's like foo equals string, 
whatever, right? Some string value, a string literal in your code that actually gets turned into a Ruby string. It's really stored as a Ruby string under the hood. And the instruction sequences have a pointer that point at that Ruby string. Now, when your code executes, it dupes the Ruby string. It just copies it. So your code always gets a copy back. That's why all strings in Ruby are mutable. Unless right? you have magic comment. Yes, unless you have the magic comment turned on. But they're still, even with that, they're still stored as a Ruby string under the hood. It just pushes the actual string onto the stack. Right. So during the compilation phase, those, since those are truly Ruby objects, they have to get marked by the garbage collector. Okay. So what Koichi did is when the compiler runs and a string gets allocated, we would push that string onto an array. So the instruction sequence would point at an array, and the array would point at a string. But the instruction sequences in the binary would also point at that string. So you'd have two references to the string, one through an array, and one through the actual binary sequences. So because of this, it means that all of our Ruby code has these, what they call marking array, if you look in the code. It's just a mark array, and when GC runs, instead of marking the objects, it just marks this array, and then we do normal array, array marking. Now, the annoying thing is that, let's say you add an element to an array, and the array has to grow. Right. It doesn't grow the array just one element at a time. It grows the array by a bunch, like there's an algorithm. It grows the array by a bunch so that next time you add something, it's faster to add. So you end up with all these instruction sequence objects. They're actually stored as objects under the hood, pointing at these arrays that contain references to these other references. And those arrays have a bunch of headroom in them that basically do nothing while your program is running. So that it's just wasted memory. Sure. So what I did was I added a patch that walks the instruction sequences, disassembling them, finding actual Ruby objects, and marking those. And that way I was able to eliminate this array and it, a basic Rails application, it reduced memory overhead by 6%. Uh, that would have increased CPU usage for GC though, right? No. No? Okay. Well, these are, I mean, or is it, so possibly it may be slower. It may be slower, but instruction sequences, since we have a generational garbage collector, instruction sequences get old quickly. Gotcha. And they are marked very infrequently, which means there's very little overhead to this patch. Sure. So we were able to trade maybe a little bit slower, but you probably won't notice it for a bunch of memory. Nice. So that, that's exciting. And the other thing is that we changed, I guess this isn't GC related, but we changed. Uh, so when you do a require, like, you know, you require a file, and then if you require it a second time, it doesn't actually go loaded a second time. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep a hash around that stores, like, okay, what files did we load? Because we're going to look that up and be like, oh, we loaded that one already. Don't touch it. But if you have, like, let's say you do require A slash B, and then you later do require A slash B dot RB, it doesn't get required the second time, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to maintain all of these permutations in memory saying, like, oh, okay, I know they required slash A slash B, but also if it's slash A slash B dot RB, we need to no-op that. Uh, now, before all those strings were actually getting stored in memory. Like, we would store those, and then all those permutations in memory. So actually, this is kind of sad. I came up with a patch that would only store one string, uh, and that reduced memory by about 4% of a basic Rails application. Unfortunately, somebody else, this, this isn't unfortunate, someone who goes by the name Funny Falcon submitted a patch that does exactly the same thing. I discovered this independently of him. However, he discovered it like 
four years ago <laughs> <laughs> and submitted the patch and it just sat there for four years. I submitted my patch and he responds to me and was like, well, what do you think of this one? Pointing back to his and I'm like, oh, <laughs> let's, go, let's go with yours. And I committed that. So what's exciting though is that Ruby 2.6, you get, you'll get 10% memory savings for free. Just nice. Done. Yeah, so that's, that's exciting. So now we can make 10% breaking changes. You can make 10% more memory if you would like. Mm. That's fine. <laughs> yes. So, sorry I talked for a long time about stuff. No, it's fine. No, I mean, it's good. It's, this is, I feel like I've gone way too long without making a pun, and that bothers me. I never know, like, when you're building, you're being serious, and you're I'm like, is, he gonna, is this going to end really? with a you thing, or is it going to end with a pun? I feel like people can tell. I mean, people can tell sometimes on Twitter when I tweet stuff that's puns. <laughs> when you get Versus. to the pun, I understand, or you get to the but like as you're building up, you're like, okay, so I did this thing, and then I I saw this, and then I saw this, and it's like, uh, okay, I think he's going to get to a technical thing. Here. My favorite, so my <laughs> my favorite ones are when I tweet something. I try to tweet something that's a pun. So this is let me tell you my goal. My goal <laughs> is to tweet something that's a pun, but close enough to not a pun that I get a serious response. Mm. That's the ultimate goal. And the other day I tweeted one that was. Um, I don't understand why flight attendants do a cross check, but I hope it has something to do with vampires. And <laughs> somebody responded to me like seriously explaining what what a cross check was. <laughs> it's a hockey maneuver. Uh, I guess, I guess. That's, that is also what I learned through Googling because I, I too have access to the internet. <laughs> I love it. I love, I'm like, yes, explain this. Please explain. Take your time. Ah. <laughs> On behalf of the entire internet, I'd just like to say, Aaron. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm like, I feel like I'm one of those. I'm taking time away from people who would probably be hassling other people. <laughs> <laughs> You're a honeypot for... Yes, exactly. For, um, actually. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I enjoy it. It makes me, like, really happy inside. <laughs> great, great. So uh, this is Ruby 2.6, 10% memory overhead. Last time we talked, the Ruby 3x3 three three thing yeah. was a thing, mm -hmm. and you were saying, I don't know how we're going to do that because I don't know who, who's measuring and how. Uh, Has there been a... Uh... <laughs> we still have that problem, uh, but uh, Ruby 2.6 has a JIT, so mm -hmm. that's exciting. Does it, does it still make Rails slower, or did that get fixed? It still makes Rails slower, yeah. Okay. But the important thing is, the important thing is that we have a framework for doing optimizations and de-optimizations right. so now that we have that framework in place we can start measuring stuff and improving it so i think that's like i mean even though it makes rails slower when you turn it on it's still a huge win right just no, from that perspective absolutely can you give us like a reader's digest version of what? why a rails developer should care about whatever a jit is uh because it'll make your app faster right by <laughs> Compiling things just in, just in time. time. Yes, yes. Okay. Every time I watch uh, Searles give a presentation, I don't. I always wonder why doesn't he say? Why doesn't he start off with "This is just in time"? <laughs> <laughs> this is a just in time presentation. 
a just in time joint. <laughs> actually, that so I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil my talk for you. That's actually gonna be my first slide. Is a just in time talk. Okay. Because we had DHH was talking about just in time learning, and I'm giving a just in time. So I'm actually a really really horrible um, procrastinator. And one way that I procrastinate is by doing other things that are productive so that I can, like, justify the procrastination. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's a common technique for pro-procrastinators <laughs> like myself and you, yeah. So I'm supposed to be working on this presentation last week, and I just got, like, a bunch of stuff done that was not the presentation. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we were talking in Slack. Eileen is like, uh, shouldn't you be working on your talk? And I'm like, yes technically true <laughs> yes i should be working on my talk <laughs> so she suggested that i give my talk title things that i've been doing besides working on my talk <laughs> so that's that's actually what i'm going with that's the title of my that's the title of my presentation so <laughs> there's gonna be pictures of like your clean house yes yeah, so and clean. your it's desk so clean. that's really organized mm -hmm. and all that i'm stuff, gonna yeah. be i'm going to be so productive <laughs> like, once i get my office clean it's going i'm going to be so productive right you're gonna really it's that's going to pay you back tenfold. Yes, this yeah. this this talk uh -huh. will write itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this clutter. It's cluttering up your mind, and you yes. need a clear mind in order to yep exactly to see the thing. And also, my my mechanical keyboard is just not clicky enough. So if I <laughs> if I build a new one. <laughs> I have noticed new versions of Diesel tend to get released right before I have to give a talk. <laughs> People always make a joke about conference-driven development, so I, I appreciate that. I think that's I think it's a thing. I really do. It is, but this isn't me like developing something so I can talk about it in a conference talk. It's me working on getting a Diesel release out because I'm avoiding the talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see. Interesting. Same I, end result. I heard Diesel is really hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> So if I I can use Diesel on any any uh, database, right? Uh, SQLite, Postgres, or MySQL. Okay, SQLite, Postgres, MySQL. Are those implemented as engines? <laughs> are they? Are I they, definitely are refer they Diesel engines. <laughs> <laughs> they have been referred to that way. That is for sure. <laughs> oh, sorry. Not sorry. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I deserve it. When we moved back from Canada, we had to drive the whole way. Uh, and it was a 40-hour drive. And every single time we passed a gas station, I would turn over to my wife and say, Hey, check it out. That gas station's using my, my, uh, my, my database framework. Are they allowed to use your framework in the EU? <laughs> you know, that's a very complicated <laughs> question these days. You don't have any. You don't have any Volkswagen engineers on your team. <laughs> is this is this too no topical? Comment. Is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't know anything about Rust. It's okay. So we should talk about Elixir. Yeah, I like Elixir. It's great. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really great. I heard you can write a Lambda calculus. In it. I can absolutely. Yeah. I like Elixir. It's a nice. It's a nice language. But I also miss. Um, so. I think functional languages are fun and interesting. They're fun to play with, but I also like mutability. I think mutability is fun and interesting, too. Have you heard about this wonderful language that takes functional programming <laughs> concepts and gives Stop. you ways to help control mutability? <laughs> oh, is this... Are you talking about OCaml? Because I love, I love OCaml. It's a really great language. <laughs> a production-ready functional language, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
What else should we talk about? Three by three. Oh, let's talk about three by three some more. Okay. Yeah, so we right. have a JIT. Yes, that's what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. We have a JIT. The way that it works is super hacky. I will explain how it works. Basically, what it does is it takes the instruction sequences that we were talking about earlier for your code. It generates a C file, like C code, mm -hmm. a .c file, and then it shells out to GCC <laughs> yeah. and compiles the C code and then loads that as an SO. Yep. So that is how it works. Yeah, I think it, it, at this point, we don't need to be as afraid of LLVM going away or becoming unmaintained. Like, I personally think just using LLVM as a dependency would have been a better choice. No, I completely disagree. Okay. Completely disagree. And I can, the way I can say that with confidence is to say, just look at Rubinius. Like, they're stuck to a particular version of LLVM because the C API for LLVM changes so frequently that they're, like, getting messed up all the time. I mean, I would use Swift and Rust and Crystal and, like, everything else using LLVM right now as counter-arguments. They still have to update. They do, but... It, but so I, I haven't followed Crystal as close as I followed Swift or Rust, but, like, yes, and it is not a trivial undertaking for them to update, but it's also not nearly as bad as it sounds like it's been for Rubinius. Another problem, though, is it's not just using LLVM as a client thing. The other problem is, um, let's say you want to run on Linux. Now you've got to run LLVM on Linux. And are we going to ship LLVM? Are we going to say, like, okay, now LLVM is a dependency of Ruby? I mean, it, I've always seen it vendored, but... I, I don't think, like... And you, statically, and you the, statically link it. The team doesn't want to do that. We don't want to be tied to that, that particular API. And C, so this is, this is funny, but C is a very, very stable API to both compilers, GCC or LLVM. Sure. They both speak that. But so, so we're still adding the dependency right now. It's just it's either GCC or Clang. I, but that's not really any different than if we just said LLVM is now a dependency. Sure, but the API is just C. No, sure, and I get I get the stability argument. Uh, I just worry that we that we end up losing out on the ability to take advantage more directly and uh, with more specific intent of optimizations that are already yeah. baked in. Honestly, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think what we can do is as long as we have a set API for how we do the JIT. Like, let's say this is the function that we call to do a JIT. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that we couldn't ship an extension to Ruby that's like oh, this is Aaron's JIT, but Aaron's JIT isn't going to shell out. It's actually just going to call LLVM and do the stuff. Right. Because really all it cares about is that it got an SO, right. and that's loaded into memory. So I think we can do that. And if it turns out that doing an extension like that is stable enough and we can handle it, then we can integrate that later. Makes I think, sense. I think the current approach is really hacky, but I think there's a way to get out of the hackiness. Sure. I mean, it's just because we're, we're now not only relying on the optimizations in these compilers are well implemented, but it's now also we have to make sure that we are generating C that specifically triggers optim these optimizations as opposed to just being able to give it... Uh, LLVM IR, for example, is just, it's much clearer when certain optimizations will apply, especially really funky ones like auto vectorization, which like really, really obscure changes can cause it to stop occurring. I think earlier you told me that the Rust compiler was very good. I believe that LLVM is also very good. So maybe we can just let the, it do Right, it. the Rust compiler is good because it, of LLVM, but, but it's... <laughs> That's but that's my point, right? Is that is that they are interacting with it through LLVM's APIs by producing IR, and same problem happens in Rust. If you are relying on a loop getting auto vectorized, 
seemingly unrelated changes can trigger or, or untrigger that optimization. And the same is true of C code. So it's much harder for us to see, this is a, this is a, a Ruby loop that we know for sure we can auto vectorize. It's much harder for us to ensure that we are going to specifically generate C code that is mm. getting all of, this, all of the correct optimizations. I see what you're saying. And inlining can also potentially become harder as well. I understand that, but I think that this is a this is a very rose gold versus <laughs> blue. Right. <laughs> it's a trade-off. <laughs> right. It's a trade-off. I get that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as long as there's a way for us to implement a plug-in system for the JIT, then I don't really think it's that big a deal. We could apply those if if it turned out that applying our own optimizations to it worked, then we'd go with that one. Well, I guess I'll say what I think Olivier would say if he were here. Sounds legit. (laughs) (laughs) That's so French. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that a French word? I don't know. Legit. 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 (laughs) See, it's funny because we're talking about a jit and and, and Olivier is French. So... You shouldn't have Boy, to that, explain that, it. They're not lying. If you explain dad jokes, people actually do laugh. You get the pity laugh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, what should we talk about next? Let's talk about my keynote. Why don't we do that? Yeah, let's do it. I, oh, sh- uh, Put all these people under NDA. Yeah, I'm going to give you all a spoiler, so <laughs> we'll talk about that. Actually, this is good for me. It gives me a way to rehearse before the <laughs> presentation. There's no other way. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a just-in-time presentation. <laughs> so one of the things, actually, I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed DHH's keynote because he was talking about making it easier for developers to get into Rails and um, build web applications yeah. and stuff. I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed Eileen's keynote this morning talking about making Rails scalable by default. And... I'm glad that they both talked about this because I'm going to talk about performance improvements for Rails during my keynote. Specifically, like, I want to say, so, uh, I'm going to dog on Rust now. Go for uh, it. <laughs> so I'm afraid, basically, I'm afraid that a lot of developers create their Rails application or whatever. They get it into production. They're like, oh, my God, this is too slow. They're like, okay, we're going to have to rewrite this in Rust now, clearly. I've heard Rust is faster, so we're going to rewrite in Rust. Rails is the problem. Let's rewrite. Yep. And I really don't like that. I think that that's bad from the... Wow, it's so so eloquent of me. I think that that's bad. (laughs) 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 Try to use some words with more than one syllable. Jeez. Uh, So... (laughs) I don't think it's good because I'm afraid the developers may like essentially perpetually be beginners. So they're going to say like, "Well, I, I wrote my entire application in Rails. I learned how to use Rails, and now it's just not fast. It needs to be fast. So I'm going to start over again, and I'm going to do it in Rust or Elixir or whatever, right? right? And right, you, the fast languages, the fast languages, yes. And you are perpetually beginner in that that particular area, and that that kind of worries me. I think that the longer anybody works on a bit of code, the more likely they are to encounter scalability issues and performance issues. So we need to be developing those skills as well. But I think the point of my presentation is going to be essentially like, we should all be improving our skills. We should all be getting past the beginner stage. But there's no reason that that needs to be hard, right? The idea is basically you can be advanced, but there's no reason it has to be hard to be advanced. So in order to do that, 
I think that Rails is kind of falling down in that particular area. Like we don't give good ways to do benchmarking, for example. Mm. Uh, so that's one of the big things that I would like to bake into Rails itself is say like, okay, I have this controller in action. Tell me what's slow. That way you can say to somebody, okay, well, your Rails application is slow. Before you decide to throw it all away and rewrite in the fast in Go or Rust. <laughs> um, and then finally learn that your database was actually your bottleneck. Yes. Why don't, we, why don't you take just five minutes and run with this one command like, that we can provide? Because I know right. we can provide these commands to say, okay, just take five minutes, run this command, see what's actually slow. Like, are you querying the database too much? Do you have a loop that you could improve? Like, where is the actual bottleneck? And then you can say, oh, that's the thing I need to fix. You go fix that and move on with your life. Mm -hmm. Right. Continue to build features. Do whatever you need to. I am surprised that um, when Eileen was talking about multi-database support, that sharding had hadn't come up at all. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it did come up. It came yeah, up in DHH's DHH talk. About <laughs> sure. As yeah. a thing that nobody ever needs to do ever. Uh, <laughs> I agree with the I agree with the point that the majority of applications will not get to a point where sharding is a good solution to the to the scaling problems they'll face in the database. But there are definitely applications for which it is important, and right. definitely uh, and one also specific data structures for which it works very well. Like Shopify is a very easy application to shard because everything belongs to a shop. Right. through some transitive association, and we work very, very hard to make sure you are never accessing data from another shop. So not only does sharding on Shop ID just make a lot of sense, it was also it's also easy for us to implement because we can just, in a middleware, look up which database we need to connect to based on the Shop ID, establish connection, and we never have to think about it versus other things where you might need to access more than one shard in a single request, then you need control at like the relation level of which database you're connected to, and that can get really hairy really fast. Mm. But, I mean, it is important when, when you do have data sets of such a large size that there's absolutely no way to properly index it unless you, unless you break it into multiple tables or multiple databases. Like, replication and read-only read replicas are, are really, really good for, for certain loads, but not others. They're good for our loads. That's Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we use, we use a lot of read-only stuff, uh, and Eileen is committing all that, so maybe you should commit some shard. <laughs> Stuff. I have tried. Those are that's what Crystal calls its libraries. Shards. Shards. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. hmm. I wonder if there's a sharding shard. <laughs> you you've made it crystal clear. <laughs> I would use that if I was a crystal programmer. I would use that all the time. <laughs> I would just in code reviews. This yes, is crystal so, clear. This is crystal clear. <laughs> Have you used Crystal? Do you like Crystal? Crystal is nice, yeah. I'm interested in Crystal. Crystal cannot do the Lambda calculus. <laughs> we know what your bar is, so... <laughs> yeah, actually, so you can't... A Lambda in Crystal cannot take a Lambda as a parameter. That's weird. It is weird. I think you can take a Lambda, but you have to make a subclass of a Lambda and specify the type, which means that in a Lambda, if I remember correctly, a Lambda in the object tree, an object does not have a Lambda as an ancestor, so you can't swap out the two for the parameter. So if I have a Lambda and I wanted to take a Lambda or an object, that's not possible. So does Crystal just not have generics? And it has objects that are supposed to be generic enough. I don't know. So I, ask, I actually try to do this. So I, I always implement, whenever I look at a new language, I try to implement uh, cons, car, and cutter from Scheme using lambdas only. Okay? Mm -hmm. 
and I challenge you to do this with lambdas only. Okay. No wrapping, lambdas. You use lambdas. That's all you get. Can it just be a normal function? It has to be lambdas. Okay. <laughs> so, cons I mean, car encoder. I, I implement cons car encoder, and then from there you can implement anything. You can implement numbers. You can implement whatever. So I always do that with new languages to see how much they care about functional programming, because I really do like functional programming. I think functional programming is interesting. I like functional programming, but I also like OO mutable language stuff, too, because I know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I think functional languages are for people who don't know what they're doing. Oh, do We're going to put that in the poll quote. <laughs> it's, that's going to, it's, yes. That is going to get yes. the clicks. <laughs> On that note, I think we have to wrap up. Yeah. So uh, let me let me clarify. <laughs> <laughs> clarify. No, Go let ahead. Me, let I'll me give clarify. you a rebuttal no, to this yourself. Is, this is, so what Tom, I mean, please just edit it. Like cut them off right in the middle of clarify, <laughs> and then we and then we go to the outro. It's perfect. What I mean what I mean by this is like if you are having problems with your application where you're mutating you're mutating something and that's your problem but you don't know where the mutations are happening with a functional language you can say well we just don't have that feature anymore we don't do mutations but there are some data structures that you can optimize using mutations and that's the only way like you can get a faster implementation using mutations yeah. so it's essentially an optimization that you just don't get in functional languages so it's a trade-off right like Maybe you don't necessarily need those optimizations, but if you want them, you can't have them. And I like to have the choice. So personally, for me, that's the reason I prefer I prefer languages that are not necessarily functional. Though I love programming in functional languages, I have many scheme libraries. Please use them. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about before this? Functions. Ah, lambda calculus. Yes. yes. So I implemented the. I got a, this one story, and then I'm done talking right. your ear off. Okay. So I I tried implementing this lambda calculus with Crystal, and doing Conscar and Coder. I tweeted about it. I'm like, I can't do this. Can anyone do this? And actually, the author of the language responded to me on Twitter, and was like, Why do you want to do that? And I was like, Ah, no. <laughs> I just want to. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Sometimes the programmer just wants what the programmer yes, wants. Yes, I just want to do that. I did this with Swift, too. Mm -hmm. did it with Swift. I broke the Swift compiler. <laughs> I sent a bug to Apple, and they actually fixed it. And then when Apple open-sourced Swift, they sent me an email asking me to relicense my test case. So now I have a test case that's in Swift. Nice. So, yeah. What if you had said no? They would have removed the test case. Uh, yeah. yeah probably. Probably, and probably had a, had a white glove implementation. Whatever that is. It's when you re-implement something um, having not seen the, the yeah. thing that you're re-implementing. Okay. So just somebody saying, hey, I ne we need a test case for this. You can't look at this other file. Okay. It's, it's a really silly thing. We White have to wrap glove. up now. We really uh, have to wrap what up. What are we going to wrap up? The show. This, oh. is <laughs> this is it. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. <laughs> There's no, no presents? Jeez. <laughs> uh, I can get you some Heroku socks. <laughs> We're going to wrap up the bike shed now. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening, especially to the part where I gave you a good clickbait title. <laughs> <laughs> I regret those words. <laughs> You'll be able to find Aaron's full apology in the show notes at bikeshed.fm. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about any of our episodes, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed, email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, or email Aaron directly. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>
This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.